Katie shared that at 9.30, I told the 9.30 service that we moved a couple times, took our kids along with us to Amarillo and then to Katie. And when we moved to Katie, Ben was going into the sixth grade and we just did not set him up for success. Uh, he had the worst day ever. His entire bag of school supplies broke while he's on the steps. They scattered everywhere and he just left them there. And I said, that's exactly what you should have done. Get out of there, man. <laughs> like, don't hang around. So he gets home that afternoon and he says, well, sixth grade Benjamin, if you know Benjamin. Well, at least I've already had the worst day of my entire life. <laughs> so we said, okay, sixth grade is not the right time to move kids. And then you guys call and we come here in 2019 when Anna's going into what grade? Sixth grade. She had a better time. She's adapted well. But yeah, I love what Katie said. Kids can do hard things. They can do hard things. And we've seen that in our own family. I'm sure you've seen that as well with your kids and grandkids. Uh, let's pray and then we'll get started. Father, we are so grateful uh, to be gathered here. Um, grateful that you call us your family, that you use language like sons and daughters and brothers and sisters. That we are more than just a group of people who get together and then go our separate ways that there is a tie that binds us together. You are that tie, but it binds us together in a really unique way. So Father, today as the scriptures are read, as the gospel's proclaimed, I pray that you would reveal that to us in, in just a special and sweet way. Um, that you would help us see each other in a different way and help us see the way that we interact with each other, the frequency with which we interact with each other. Uh, that we would wrestle with that a bit and consider the right steps to take when we leave here. So we pray that you would guide us, open our minds, our eyes, our ears, our hearts, that we can receive it as always. Put our hands and feet and our mouths when necessary to work. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. So last week we started a short series that'll take us through the end of this month. In the fall we went through the Gospel of Mark and we stopped at chapter nine. And I've had some of you ask like, like are we gonna finish the Gospel of Mark? <laughs> we are. We're gonna do it during Lent leading up to Easter. Um, but until then, for the next couple weeks, uh, we have this little short series called Do's and Don'ts. And this isn't about laws and commands. We're talking about the things that we do and the things that we don't do as a church. It's about who we are as a church, about how we practice our values to be biblically literate, spiritually formed, mission focused, and gospel fluent. It's about how we work to stay focused on our purpose and our mission to love God and our neighbors as ourselves and to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. So here's what we do and don't do. We started last week with we equip, but we don't empower. We talked about it last week. If you missed it, I really would encourage you um, to go online to check out the service from last week on the website or go listen to the podcast. Um, we teach in series. So to get the whole message really from week to week, you need to follow along from week to week. So through the podcast, through the website, we just try to make accessible what we do here for the weeks that you're not able to join us um, in person. So last week, we equip, we don't empower. This week, we encourage, we don't inspire. And then next week, we exhort, not extort. <laughs> we don't do that. <laughs> we exhort, we don't entertain. And that word exhort, it is kind of a funny word. It's an older word. Uh, it means to confront or to irritate. The way our passage today says it is to spur one another on. 
You're just gonna have to come next week to hear more about that. <laughs> It'll be interesting, but it's a lot more encouraging than you might think. Uh, but for this week and for next week as well, what we're gonna do is we're gonna focus on one passage, on Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 27. And I don't know if you've ever studied the book of Hebrews. Uh, the writer of Hebrews is actually kind of a mystery um, for generations, pastors and theologians have wondered who actually wrote it. They all have their theories. Uh, Sabrina actually has a really interesting theory that you should ask her about it sometime. It's pretty intriguing. Um, but what we do know is this. We know that whoever wrote this letter to the Hebrews was a pastor. And it was a pastor who dearly loved the church, their particular church. And this pastor wrote a letter to this church to proclaim the gospel to remind the people who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, but also to encourage us to consider what the gospel means, not only for the life after, but what does the gospel mean for this life? And y'all, we talk about this here all the time. If this is true, the things that we sing about and pray about, the gospel we proclaim, if it's true, then what are we supposed to do with it now? Like we absolutely trust in the promises of eternal life with God forever once this life has come to its end. But if Christ died, rose again from the dead, if he took our sins to the grave and gave us the Holy Spirit, then what would God have us do now, even as we're waiting for his return? So listen to this. This comes from Hebrews chapter 10. I'm gonna read 19 through 22 first. The pastor writes this. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the fresh and living way that he inaugurated for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, it's just a way of saying that we have confidence to enter the sanctuary because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Then in verse 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart in the assurance that faith brings, because we have had our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. We don't have to wait for some high priest to come out and tell us what it's like to be in the presence of God. Like that might sound so foreign to us, but y'all, that's how it worked for a thousand years. That's how it was for Israel in the Old Testament. God's presence rested inside a room, the Holy of Holies, behind a curtain in the heart of the temple in Jerusalem. And only one person and only one time of year could that person enter into this room and stand in the presence of God. And he did it on behalf of all the people. They would, they would even tie a rope around the high priest in case he died in the presence of God so they could pull him out because nobody was allowed to go. He went into the presence of God one time a year on behalf of all the people. That's how it was. Not anymore. The pastor in Hebrews writes that the great high priest, Jesus, because he descended into death on behalf of all people, because he was alienated from God's presence on account of my sin, and because God was faithful in raising him from the dead, all of us can now come into God's presence with full confidence and assurance isn't that really good news? Yes, isn't that really, yeah, you should answer. Amen, thank you, sister. <laughs> After our five o'clock service on Christmas Eve, 
uh, one of the kids in our church, he's been around the church, I think they started coming last spring, uh, but one of the kids in our church, he ran up to me and he shouted out at the top of his lungs, right out there in the narthex, with all kinds of people coming and going between the services, he just shouted out, Chaster Pad, I wanna be baptized. <laughs> he didn't mess up. The kids on Wednesday night, they started calling me Chaster Pad. Not Pastor Chad, but Chaster Pad. Um, anyway, um, so this kid who comes on Wednesday nights, his mother brings him to church on Wednesdays, every Sunday morning. I'm telling you on Christmas Eve, that kid was moved by the spirit and ready to be washed in the water. <laughs> and this pastor heard that and said, let's do it in the morning. <laughs> We're having worship on Christmas day. Let's do a baptism. But mom and I talked, he's not quite ready for that yet. He needs to understand a little bit more. But I mean, what a sweet way to end a Christmas Eve service, right? And what bold confidence, full assurance. Like that kid enters into God's house full of confidence. He is certain that he is a part of God's family. He knows that he belongs here. I mean, kids could be like that, right? Like they, like they just say what they're thinking. <laughs> like they'll just say what they're thinking without thinking too much about what they're saying. Like there's a sweet honesty in them that'll just, it'll just come right out. We're not like that, are we? Like adults aren't like that. Some of you are. <laughs> but we're typically watching our words. We're worried about what others might think. We're worried about what we might say. And sometimes that's appropriate depending on the setting. But like I do wonder, that fear and that worry that we learn over time, I wonder if sometimes it comes with us when we walk into this place. Like we come into the church like a little guarded cautious, maybe putting up some walls around us, maybe a little too concerned about what others might think of us, a little worried that you might know too much, you might find out too much, and if you find out too much, maybe you'll, I don't know, what will you, maybe you'll reject me, I'm not sure. That maybe we lack confidence about where we stand with God. Maybe that's part of it. Well, I mean, if you've ever wondered if you belong here, like I'm telling you, Hebrews 10 tells you that you do. And the good news, and this seems counterintuitive, but the good news is that you don't belong here because of who you are or what you've done. You belong because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Now listen, we do not have to agree about everything. But we do need a people to be a people who believe the good news that Jesus took our sins to the grave and he left them there. And because of that, we have all been adopted into God's family. And we need to wrestle with what that really means. Like all, when we gather together, like it should feel like we're coming home. And maybe some of you like me, coming home isn't the best picture in the world from your childhood, but you know what I mean. Like it should feel like coming home, like to a place where we're known, like where we belong. Because we do. Because God himself calls us his dearly loved sons and daughters. When I was a kid, like even as a kid, um, I loved the show Cheers. I probably was too young to be watching a show about a bunch of adults sitting at a bar drinking all night, but, <laughs> but I enjoyed the show. And I, I think that maybe one of the reasons that I enjoyed the show was like, it just has the greatest theme song ever written, right? Um, Rob? 
making your way in the world today takes everything you got taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot wouldn't you like to get away you know this come on sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came you want to be where you can see troubles are all the same you want to go where everybody knows your name yeah Like the 80s TV shows had the greatest music. I mean, the greatest theme songs, that's one of them for sure. Like that song was so good, like it was basically a character on the show. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't just a theme song, like it was the person welcoming you at the door. Like as you gathered around your old square TV set with your rabbit ears or whatever you had, right? It's like as you gathered around that, because you want to experience what it's like to walk in a room when everybody in that room knows who you are. Like they might even shout out your name because they're really glad that you're there. Now there's a reason that children and students at this church are connecting and it's because we know them. And I don't just mean staff, volunteers, people in this church, we know them and we call them by their names when we see them. Like we know who they are and we know what they do. They are welcomed, they're loved, they're taught the good news of who Jesus is, and they're given time to wrestle with what it means to be his disciples in ways that are appropriate for their age. Like it's in the midst of this community that they are brought into the presence of God and I'm telling you, they come boldly as if they belong. Because the great high priest, Jesus, descended into death on account of my sin, And because God was faithful in raising him from the dead, we can now come into God's presence with the full confidence and assurance of a kid on Christmas Eve who knows where he belongs, who knows that he is a part of God's family, of this family. What if everybody who walked through the doors of this building were made to feel that way? Verse 23 says this. And let us hold unwaveringly to the hope that we confess. For the one who made the promise is trustworthy. And let us take thought of how to spur one another on to love and good works, not abandoning our own meetings, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And even more so because you see the day is drawing near. Last week I asked you to do a couple things. I asked you to come to church. Like I asked you to be here in worship and not just when it's convenient, but to commit to being here and to being present with one another. And we're gonna talk about this some more next week, but I have a deep conviction that gathering together as the church is one of the most important things that we can do. But the second thing I asked you to do is to find community, to be a part of a group. Many of you in this room have over the years and you know how much it matters. For those of you that haven't, find community and be a part of a group. Come not just to worship, but also come and find real Christian community, not one or the other, both. And they are both important because I have a deep, biblically rooted conviction that gathering together as the church is one of the most important things we can do. If all of this is true, it's one of the most important things we can do. 
Now, when the pastor of Hebrews, when they wrote this section, people in the church were beginning to abandon their gatherings. They weren't coming to church as often as they did before. But it wasn't because church had become inconvenient or boring. It was because they were being persecuted. Like Rome was not excited at all that there were a group of people who were gathering together all throughout the empire, worshiping this resurrected Jesus. Somebody who, by the way, died on one of their crosses. And they were even less excited about the fact that they were calling this resurrected Jesus their king. These worshipers were calling Jesus Lord and Savior. In Rome, those are titles only reserved for Caesar. But that persecution was real. They suffered. Some of them hanging on a cross just like their Savior did. So they just decided to, to stay away. To stay under the radar seems like the safe thing to do. But there are consequences to staying away. And the pastor in Hebrews knew this and was worried about the trend because the pastor knew that it would lead to people falling away from the faith altogether. The pastor tells us that that we should be worried about this too. And I want you to listen to this. This comes from verse 26 and 27 and you need to gird your loins for this one. This is heavy. He writes this. For if we deliberately keep on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, No further sacrifice for sins is left for us, but only a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume God's enemies. (laughs) That'll get your attention. (laughs) Like, don't worry, there is hope. We'll talk about this next week. We'll walk through these verses, but I've included them today for a reason because I do want the weight of those verses to sit on us. Listen, there is a reason that church attendance and our culture's beliefs and values are going in the same direction. There is a reason that participation in the church and our cultural's values and beliefs are going in the same direction and that direction is away from God. There's a reason and the pastor in Hebrews, he knows which one came first. So the pastor gives two prescriptions to address this sickness in the church, to spur one another on, exhort one another, and we'll talk about that next week, but he also says, encourage one another. The word encourage, it's this Greek word parakaleo, and it literally means to stand and walk side by side with one another, to be a comforter, to be an advocate, to be a helper. Like that language might sound familiar to some of you. This comes from the gospel of John, John chapter 14. Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you an advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. He's talking about the Holy Spirit and the Greek word John uses to describe the Holy Spirit, this advocate, this comforter, it's the word paraclete. It's the same root word in the Greek that the pastor uses to encourage us to encourage one another. Parakaleo, be alongside one another as you stand and as you walk. Advocate for one another, be a help to one another, have true compassion for one another as we travel together through a very broken world. 
Y'all, I have to tell you, I think one of the most deceptive, greatest lies that Satan has told us, those of us living right now in this culture today, one of the greatest lies is that we can follow Jesus and we can grow to be like Jesus by ourselves. It's a lie. It's a lie that we can follow Jesus and grow to be like Jesus by simply doing a morning devotion or by listening to a sermon from some well-known pastor online. Like those are good things, but they are no substitute for the body of Christ gathering together to encourage one another to trust and follow Jesus. Like listen, you cannot be a part of the body of Christ apart from the body of Christ. You can't. Like people will ask me and they don't like the answer. You may not like the answer, but people ask me all the time, can you be a Christian and not be a part of the church? And I'm telling you, the answer is no. And that's not because the church saves you. The church doesn't save you, Jesus does. But you can't be a part of the body of Christ apart from the body of Christ. The idea that we would do this alone, that it would just be my personal private faith, that's all I need, There is not a single writer of scripture. There is not a single person throughout Christian history until these modern individualistic times. Not one would have ever thought that was possible or in any way the point. This was always meant to be done together. Last week we said that our, our job is to equip, that we equip, we don't empower because it's the paraclete, the advocate, the helper, the spirit of the living God in us that empowers us and works through us to accomplish God's purposes for our lives. We equip one another for the work that God is doing. This week is no different. The pastor in Hebrews 10 tells us to encourage one another. We encourage one another. We don't inspire each other because it's the breath of God breathed into our lungs that inspires us to live according to his will. God inspires us, we encourage. And the best way to encourage each other is to continue meeting together. And y'all, this can happen in a number of ways. Like the first few weeks of the pandemic, like we had some really difficult decisions to make. I mean, before vaccines, or honestly, before even a real understanding about what this virus was. Like, with the church, with a decent number of older people in the congregation, right? Like, we had to make a really hard decision that it was better to not gather in person for a little while until we had a little more information, until we can make this a safer place to gather. It's a really hard decision to make. But that doesn't mean that we neglected the pastor's words in Hebrews 10. We still gathered. Like groups of us gathered together on Zoom every single afternoon at four o'clock just to check in on each other and pray together. Staff, elders, volunteers from this church sat on the front person, front porches of people in our congregation who are not technologically astute. (laughs) We sat on the front porches for weeks with their computers, putting shortcuts on their desktop to take them to our Zoom meetings and to our website. Some of y'all in this room are those people. And you guys are technological wizards by this point. (laughs) 
Our classes moved online so that we continue to meet regularly and grow together. Our kids met outdoors. Small groups did the same thing. Even though everything had changed, we did not neglect to meet. But even though we didn't neglect to meet, the fact that we didn't gather here in this place on a regular basis, it did some damage. We've lost people in the process. The pastor knows it matters that we get together. John Wesley, he said, the Bible knows nothing of a solitary religion. You can't do this on your own. C.S. Lewis agrees in Mere Christianity. He says, Christ works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. We're not meant to do this alone. I think in our time, um, in our culture especially, there's a lot of churches that what they've become is, uh, they've become aggregations. They're aggregations. They aggregate together. And, and when that happens, they're really, they're, they're just kind of like a bag of marbles. Right, like they're all there together, but they can't really support each other. As soon as they get close to each other, they roll away. You can't build a structure on that because there's no real connection. They come and go. They're not tied to each other in any meaningful way. Y'all, scripture doesn't call us to be an aggregation. Scripture calls us a congregation. And that means that we're more like a cluster of grapes, that we're connected to one another because of our connection to Jesus. That because we are dependent upon the vine for our very lives, that ends up making us dependent upon one another as well. Look, an inspiring sermon is always great. Like a meaningful devotion in the morning is a great way to start the day. I have nothing against good inspirational words. Just because I'm not good at inspirational words doesn't mean I have a problem with good inspirational words. That can be really meaningful. But inspiring words by themselves, they can make us feel a certain way, but they don't always result in actions that make a difference in our lives or in the lives of others. Like our job is not to inspire you. If the cross of Christ and the empty tomb aren't inspiration enough, then you don't fully understand the cross of Christ and the empty tomb. Our job is not to inspire, it's to equip one another to do the work that God calls us to do and to encourage one another to do that work together because the church is here not to sit around and feel a certain way, the church is here to get some work done. And a vital part of the job description of the church is to embody the way of Jesus and to put on display the power of the Holy Spirit and we do that by walking alongside one another through this life advocating, helping, comforting, practicing true compassion and real care for each other as we walk through this broken world. We do that for one another and then we are called to do that for everybody that God places on our path. Okay, so now what? Two things today. I said it last week, I'll say it again. Find community here at First Pres. And I will tell you to this part of our congregation in particular, Many of you have found community, and that's great. I don't want to break that up. Keep going. That's awesome. I would ask you specifically, look for ways to build into that community people from some other generations. Like, look for ways to build into your community some parents who really need some wisdom from an older person as they're trying to raise their kids in a really broken world. 
Consider spending some time with a kid or a student. Build some community with them because they need wisdom and encouragement from some older people who have been through it, who can help guide them through this difficult world. Like if you just come to worship, like you can come to worship and then just go. You, you don't have to get to know anyone. And when that happens, this can become a place where no one knows your name. Nobody wants that. So find community. If you need to be equipped in reading and understanding scripture, like I said last week, we have Bible studies. We have opportunities to meet community available to you to do that in person and online every single day of the week. If what you need right now is the opportunity to eat with people, to laugh with people, to cry with people, maybe to go play golf with some people. We've got people throughout the church that do that all the time as well. Like our job structurally is to make those things more accessible to you. Your job is to say yes and to do it. And not just when it's convenient, but commit and boldly show up as if you actually belong there. Because I'm telling you, scripture says you do. So the first thing is find community. The second thing, and this can be a little harder for some of us, but the second thing is know each other's names. Get to know each other's names. And maybe you know the names of the people in this room. Come a little early next week and you're gonna see a bunch of people that maybe you don't know. And they're part of our church as well. Get to know their names. Call each other out by name when you see each other in the community. Like you can't know any, everybody, but at least find a group and start there, right? Learn their names, learn their stories. And then when you see each other outside of this place, shake hands, give a hug, just do something to remind one another that even though we're not together here, we are still together. Like I've told you before, like a, a dream of a time in this church when every single child and student is known by name by at least five adults in this church. And I just don't mean staff and volunteers. I'm talking about adults from within the church where every child and student here has five adults who will walk up and give them a high five, who will call them by their name, ask them how they did on their test, how their team played, how the play went the other night. He's gonna, he's gonna hate me for doing this. There's a man sitting in the choir behind me. A couple weeks ago, we're in the retired men's Bible study and we're talking about how awesome our kids are. We have some amazing kids at this church, y'all. Andrew, who does youth ministry here, he said words the other day that I've never heard in my entire life. He said, our middle, our middle schoolers are really well behaved. <laughs> I've never heard those words coming out of another human's mouth. But, but we started talking a bit and, and yup, like, so yup in the middle, of, he, he says, oh yeah, I know. Like I saw Maverick the other day in the community and gave him a high five and I saw Winter you know, at this thing. And then, um, you know, when I saw Jamin in the church and gave him a high five and like five, six, seven names, he starts naming these kids by name and talking about the way that he's interacted with them when he sees them, whether it's here or wherever he goes. And everybody in the room just kind of sat there and reflected like how many of us can do that? When we see our kids running by, how many of us know their names? How many of us can go up to them? Ask them how their day is going. Get to know a little bit more about them. I think I told you this, but when we came back to this church, no offense to anybody here, but there's one person that both my kids remembered. 
There's a reason. Y'all, I have that same dream for each and every person in this room. I don't care how old you are. That you would walk into a place where at least five people know who you are and ask how you're doing. Some of you have that. Let's make that accessible for everybody. Like I, I have the privilege of being in a position where most people know me and they call me by my name. And it's truly a privileged position to be in and I'm grateful for it. But I'm telling you, when I walk into the fellowship hall on Wednesday nights and those kids don't shout out Pastor Chad, what do they say? They say, Chaster Pad. <laughs> you know, I'm telling you, it's one of the best feelings because what it tells me is they just don't know who I am. Like they're getting to know me. And they're trying to make me feel more comfortable when I'm with them. And their way of doing that is giving me a silly name. And it's one of the great honors of my week. Like every single one of us wants to walk in a room where everybody knows who we are and where they not only know our name, but they know us. Where they might even say our name out loud because they are just really glad to see us. Every person wants to know what that feels like. And I'm telling you, that's what the church was always intended to be. So be that for one another. Don't be marbles, be grapes. <laughs> be a congregation connected to the vine and to one another. It'll mean you gotta open up, you gotta be honest, you gotta be vulnerable, you gotta be transparent. But if you do it, this just might be a place where when you come more and more, it's gonna feel like home every time you gather. Amen? Let's pray. I am grateful for this family. Um, I am grateful for this family, for a place to call home, for a place to love, for people to love and know. And I'm grateful for the unique privilege of being in a position where I am known. And Father, I pray that you would help everybody in this room do that for one another. And I especially pray this morning for people in this room who feel like you're here and you are not known, that we have not reached out to you, that we have not asked you your name, that we have not made the effort we repent and we ask forgiveness from Jesus and from you. And we ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to do better. God, make this a place that is as concerned about growing in relationship as we are in size. And make this a place where we love you. And one way we practice that is by loving one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,